Hey, this is Women's Soccer Spotlight, a podcast featuring the stories of women playing, coaching, and working in soccer. I'm your host, Sam Weber, and the goal of this show is to contribute to the ongoing dialogue about gender bias by highlighting inspirational stories of those who have forged careers in women's soccer and exposing unbelievable moments of discrimination. This week's episode features retired two-time Olympic gold medalist and current president of the Women's Sports Foundation, Angela Hughes. to play at the highest level and not really have a specialized position you're one of the most versatile players uh in the game um so what was that like and what's the thought process as a player mentally like um to be switched around so much um and still have to continue to play at that level yeah actually i mean it's a really great question i think um what's interesting is i probably (laughs) one of the statistics is i probably have the most uh different jerseys with different numbers on them than the other <laughs> national team player in history. Um, and it's true. I, I definitely um, switched around in different positions. Um, and, you know, essentially I was a role player and mm-hmm. I spent pretty much the majority of my career with the U.S. national team, um, you know, coming off the bench as a reserve. And I think at first, you know, it's scary um, and it was – unsettling because you know you're especially at that level you're always constantly competing and trying to push yourself for more playing time push yourself for you know that next thing mm-hmm. whatever that next is you know no matter what your role is mm-hmm. um and so i think once i stopped trying to um compare myself to be like another player or um you know try to do something else other than what i was mm-hmm. and what i was there for I became more settled in and comfortable with that role. And um, I really started to own that that was my role and responsibility on the team. And once I accepted that, um, you know, obviously I still pushed myself, I still competed, I still mm-hmm. you know, tried to challenge myself to get to whatever that next was. But at the same time, um, you know, everyone's on that team for something unique and special. And that was what I had to offer. So, um, I think once I became more comfortable with that and and owned that role, it wasn't like owning myself as a position of central midfielder right. or a forward. It was I'm owning the role of what wherever or whenever I'm asked to play in a certain position or at a certain time, um, I need to bring it. And you know, I need to keep that level uh, of whoever I'm either coming in for um, or you know just you know, keeping the level of play and the expectations that I had for myself and, you know, that my, my teammates and my coaches had of me as well. Mm-hmm. And how important is it to have a player like that on a team, um, yeah. to have someone that has that attitude of willingness to do anything for the team, um, whether they're starting or coming off the bench or playing a new position? Um, how yeah. important is that for the morale of the team, for the success of the team, um, yeah. from just a, the standpoint of like actually the player on the field playing um, and then yeah. just the attitude and the mentality of the team too? Yeah, I mean, I think it's crucial. Um, you know, as a leader of your team, if you're the coach or the manager, whoever you are, uh, you know, you're looking to fit certain pieces of a puzzle together to complete that package of your most dynamic and most effective team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was fortunate in that the mentality was pretty much the same for every player. It didn't matter if they were a starter or reserve or a role player like myself, you know, everyone kind of brought that mentality willing to do whatever it took for the team. So I think 
um, having that commonality with, within the team is why the U.S. team has been in, and still is so successful to this day, um, you know, on the women's side. And, um, you know, for myself, you know, I, I think that was the other thing, too. The coaches understood that um, that that was my mentality mm-hmm. and they could count on that. And, you know, you don't want to get into a situation where you have to worry about, uh Okay, if if Ange isn't going to start this game, or if we're pulling her out, or whatever, that it's mm-hmm. going to impact her performance or mentality, right. or it's going to creep into the other aspects of of the team morale. So, you know, you want to be able to have players that you can rely on for things like that because it just makes um, everybody's life a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, and you were asked to step up in a really, really big way uh, in 2008 at the Olympics when Abby Wambach goes down a few days before you guys leave for the tournament. Um, and you went on to score four goals in the tournament, uh, two against Japan in the semifinal. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about that experience of uh, when you when Abby goes down and, and you eventually kind of find out, like how did you find out, okay, I'm, I'm going to start now uh, in this tournament. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah, actually, um, ironically, just recently talked a little bit about that in my last TEDx speech I just gave uh, last weekend. Awesome. Um, so you can listen to it there. But uh, it's um, – you know, when it first happened, I think everybody was in a little bit of shock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, even as know, a fan, right? Like, you know, we're playing Brazil, like one of the our you know biggest rivals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you see Abby going as this tackle, and you know she instantly falls. And I think we all just kind of like had this moment of like, oh crap, you know, just kind of understanding the gravity of the situation. Um, and you know, during that that time, a lot of what we were focused on as a team and our strategy was, was Abby was the central point mm-hmm. <laughs> to that strategy. So, you know, when she was kind of out of the picture, I, I kind of looked down the sideline, like I, I saw like some of our coaches panicking a little bit, you know, <laughs> so I think we're all just in the state of shock. And mm-hmm. um, it was the flight over to China when um, I had a conversation with Pia, who was the coach at that time about, you know, my role changing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she said that she had talked with the other coaches and the staff and, um, you know, they were reworking our strategy. And, um, you know, I was primarily playing in the center mid uh, position. And so mm-hmm. I was going to be playing up top. And so <laughs> this is how we're going to work. And, you know, I played primarily forward in college and things like that growing mm-hmm. up. But, um, you know, professionally, I'd, I'd switched um, positions. So, you know, I was going to be playing in a new position. I was going to be starting. Um, and so, you know, from that instant, you know, I had to switch my mentality of, yeah. you know, this role player, this reserve coming off the bench to, um, you know, a starter in, in the Olympics. Um, and at a different position, too, <laughs> top. Position, right. So, but, but again, you know, these are the things that I think um, we're prepared for where, you know, if, if the coaches are doing the th- right things, if mm-hmm. we're doing the right things as professional athletes, mm-hmm. um, you know, when these situations arise, you know, this is why we're professionals and, you know, we need to step into those roles and um, be able to, you know, I obviously was stepping into roles and being called upon in different ways. So this was kind of similar. I was trained mm-hmm. for this uh, a little bit as well. Yeah. Tell us about the atmosphere of like, what is it like to score a goal in the Olympics? <laughs> um, it's uh, like a hundred times more than when you score anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because it's, you know, Every time you're playing in a national game, it's mm-hmm. challenging. You know, you're playing against the world's best, and 
in the Olympics, it's like everyone's level has elevated mm -hmm. so much more yeah. because it means so much more. And so you're really getting the best of the best out of every player, out of every team that you're competing against. Um, so when you actually get a goal, it's because so many other things have happened correctly mm -hmm. to get to that point. And it's, um, it's def definitely this feeling of exhilaration because in most of the cases, especially in my case during the Olympics for 2008, it was because, you know, the ball had, you know, been pinged awesome from our center back to our outside midfielder, you know, a combination play in the midfield to the four drop back mm -hmm. out wide, you know, crossing it in and like so many things had to happen correctly. So mm -hmm. it's just like this awesome feeling of everything coming together yep. just at the right time at the right moment. Um, so it feels almost like a little bit of a, a little mir miracle too. <laughs> <laughs> it often is. Uh, yeah. With soccer, it's such a low scoring game. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your for favorite tournament that you've played in? You've played in a couple Olympics, been part of a couple yeah. World Cups. Um, is that one your favorite just because you were so personally successful <laughs> in it? I mean, I think every tournament is a little bit different. Um, I know a personal favorite of mine, and I'm sure for a, a majority of my teammates, was the Algarve Cup in Portugal. Mm -hmm. um, because we just had the the freedom to explore a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. we travel a lot, and uh, we have limited time to actually look at um, our environment that we're in. We're pretty much in the hotel to the soccer field. Mm -hmm. um, so Portugal, we were actually able to explore and get down to the beach um, you know, check out the restaurants, things like that. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's, there's no beating a world cup or, or an Olympics. So, um, to be in that environment, the, the world's largest stage of soccer. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you went on to retire in 2009, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I have to pause here because, uh, I was also talking to Yell Averbush yesterday yeah. and she was telling me, make sure you think Ange, because, uh, when she retired, I got my first national team contract. <laughs> You know, I was looking out for her. <laughs> yep. So uh, a thank you from her uh, to you. So, yeah. But uh, after you retired, uh, what did that path after retirement look like? Um, was it a lot of trial and error to kind of figure out what you're passionate about? What was the translation like out of the game? Because um, that's yeah. it's hard to go from um, even for me playing like in college to go from playing at a high level to then, you know, having to try to find somewhere to play that's competitive. Um, or not having the time to play at all anymore. It's a tough, tough, tough transition because it becomes so much of your identity. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that's even even more so uh, retiring, of course, from the national team as well. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm actually doing a lot of work right now. I'm on a speaking and building out some resources and tools and events for athletes who mm -hmm. are you know, going from that transition from competitive sports to kind of the afterlife of yeah. what's it like after competitive <laughs> sports, you know, from, from college age to elite level athletes, mm -hmm. um, because it's tough. And, you know, some people have an easier time at it than others, but there's still a transition. Whenever there's yeah. a, a change and a big change like that, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of things that are going on. And, I liken it to, I'm not a parent yet, but um, I liken it to parenting where uh -huh. you don't really know what it's like to be a parent until you're in it. Yep. Um, I feel like that's kind of similar with uh, being a competitive athlete and, and retiring or if you're a collegiate athlete and you know, you're finished with competitive sports because there's so many things that you don't even think of. Like I had to retrain how to eat and how to work out. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, you know, I couldn't do the same things anymore. Um, you know, things that would 
appear to be normal and basic, like I had to relearn and figure out what was working best for myself. Um, But it was, um, for me, it was, it was a, it was a struggle. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I came out of retirement feeling like, you know, I would figure things out. I had an idea of what I wanted to do. I did, Mm -hmm. um, got into real estate, like completely different than (laughs) Uh-huh. Being on the field and out in the sun all day, uh, I went to a very corporate environment. Um, Did you wear your uh, your gold medals and help sell those houses? <laughs> yeah, not quite. I put it on one like my business card at one point. Uh, awesome. Yeah, but um, yeah, I uh, I went to you know this very corporate environment, and you know it was in my suit, my heels, and mm-hmm. um, you know at a desk, and you know it just I did that for about a year and a half, and it was just something that wasn't quite fitting for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people like that's exactly what they want to do. Yep. But for me, I think I needed to get away from sports for a couple of years yep. in order to really figure out where my passions were to get myself on, um, the path that I am now and, you know, what I actually truly enjoy doing and, mm-hmm. you know, found a new passion. And I mm-hmm. think that's a, a huge thing. Like you spend years and years and so much time, you know, at your craft and your sport, mm-hmm. you know, all the sacrifices that you do. And so the fear is, well, how can I actually find something that I'm still that passionate yeah, about? You know, like, that much. yeah, what else is out there? Mm-hmm. Um, and there is something, but sometimes it just takes a little time mm-hmm. to actually find it. And it's kind of, being okay with where you are and knowing that, okay, this feels uncomfortable right now, but, you know, I can take these steps and talk to these people and kind of put together all of this information and resource um, and put it to my, put it to good use and figure out, okay, this is what I'm passionate about. And actually, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that this career path existed, but hey, here it is. Or, you know, kind of putting a bunch of things that you're excited about and passionate about together and creating a career, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah. And so for your career now, I mean, you found a way to kind of combine your love for sport um, with kind of more of the business side and the speaking side. Um, So tell us a little bit of, uh, yeah, what you're doing with uh, the Women's Sports Foundation as well. Absolutely. Yeah, actually. So when I was kind of in that period of, okay, this isn't working for me, um, let me figure out what I need to be doing and and Uh where I can be happy again. Um, I founded the Empowerment Through Sport Leadership Series, mm-hmm. which is essentially a conference for young girls, junior high, high school age, and parents and coaches. Mm-hmm. And it talks about, you know, the leadership lessons and the transferable skills from sports, which, right. you know, we all know are like, it's like the education on, on the field, right? Yeah. And we all uh, talk about that they are transferable skills, but uh, maybe not such in a tangible way. Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing, too. A lot of athletes don't understand that they've developed these skills because it comes so naturally after right. a while. But you're like, no, that is a skill that uh-huh. you can use that, you know, corporations or businesses like would love to have, you know, mm-hmm. in their employees. So it's kind of, you know, extrapolating those and just identifying them and helping these young girls to understand why it's important to stay physically active, mm-hmm. you know, the value that they're adding to their lives because of um, participating in sports and then also getting like the coaches and the parents on the same page as the athlete too, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, cause there's obviously, uh, there's some miscommunication that happens along the way, you know, Definitely. in trying to raise a, a smart and, you know, active child. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, you know, that's that was the Empowerment Through Sport Leadership Series. So I started that in Boston when I was living in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. And I've had, you know, called on uh, some of my old teammates and friends to yeah. come in as speakers. <laughs> and um, so it's just like a really fun, interactive day um, to talk about some really important things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the start of me getting back into the sports world. And I still do a lot of speaking um, on sports leadership and mm-hmm. um broadcast and commentary analyst work. And then um, two years ago now, yeah, I uh, have been involved with the Women's Sports Foundation, which was founded in 1974 by Billie Jean King, um, and really an organization that um, highlights the importance of getting young girls active in mm-hmm. physical activity, and, you know, the, the lessons of how sports creates leaders. Right. So it was kind of like a no-brainer for me to um, get even more involved with them as the president of the Women's Sports Foundation. Um, and so it's a two-year term, and I actually term out this October. So I'm trying to get in as much <laughs> as I can uh, before before I term out and serve as past president. Um, but it's it's an incredible organization. I was actually introduced to it by Julie Foudy okay. um, when she was my captain on the U.S. team. And mm-hmm. you know, she got us all involved, and I was just hooked from the beginning, just the awesome stories of athletes and um, what they're doing. We have Olympians and Paralympians mm-hmm. that are honored um, each year at our, our big gala at annual Sloop. Um, you know, the achievements of women in sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Women's Sports Foundation really advocates for the athletes. Uh, mm-hmm. We have different programs, grant programming. Uh, one of our big programs is um, the travel and training program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that actually gives funding to elite level athletes who might need the support for coaches or training mm-hmm. or travel. Michelle Kwan, Ronda Rousey were recipients of oh, wow, that's great. that grant. So, you know, just that extra support that they need to get to that next level, um, especially if they're Olympic hopefuls. Um, so, yeah, and research too. We do a lot of research and put out reports um, to uh, help show the disparities that still exist for mm-hmm. females um, as, yep. as it pertains to sports. Um, so, we, you know, we do a lot of work in t- Title IX advocacy uh, as well. So we kind of put all that together and really try to be that voice for the athletes. Yeah. There's yeah. such a great example of uh, someone who has been an athlete combining that passion with um, business or making a business out of it or being part of an organization that then actually helps more people do that. Um, yeah. That's been a a huge passion of mine, too, is uh, how can you take these, especially like ex-college players who have played at a high level, who have gone to great universities, gotten wonderful educations, um, and, you know, oftentimes, you know, there's either two paths I think people think that they have. They either, you know, will go play professionally, which is such a small number of people, Mm -hmm. or if they want to stay involved in the game, then they're going to have to coach, which um, may or may not be a good fit for most players, Um, just because you played the game at a high level doesn't mean you have a passion for teaching it necessarily. Right. Um, right. And so I think people kind of get pulled out of the game because, you know, they they put a lot of work into their education. They want to go get a job. They uh, don't want to be struggling for money all the time uh, and everything. And so finding ways to um, connect more players um, with with business opportunities or help them stay engaged with the game in some capacity is something I'm really passionate about um, as well. And it's great to see that. Um, you're such a good example of someone who's been able to do that and is helping others people do that as well. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. I mean, it is true. I think they're, you know, especially as we evolve in this this world of technology and, you know, the mindset too, it, it doesn't have to be this one traditional 
pathway, you know, mm -hmm. to, to get involved in your career after you're done. So I think there are just so many more opportunities and it's exciting to see that and to, to help other people realize that they have all these skill sets, you know, and mm -hmm. have all these tools that, you know, that really is this abundance of opportunities that just, they just haven't put the pieces together yet. So it's been, it's been really fun. Yeah, yeah definitely. So if someone's listening to this and they're, you know, sitting there saying, you know, I'm an ex-athlete, uh, I want to get re-engaged with the game somehow, uh, mm -hmm. what advice would you give to them? Uh, where should they go? Uh, what resources yeah. would you point them to? Um, I would say, you know, and I, I feel like I've said this to a lot of people, is just kind of taking some time to really think about what their interests are mm -hmm. um, and take some time to really kind of self-reflect, uh, figuring out um some of the ideas, some of the things that you might consistently uh, read, you know, going to websites or mm -hmm. books that you might read. Um, what is it that you're really passionate about and what's really drawing in your attention that you might even get really excited about when you're talking to friends or family members, like mm -hmm. paying attention to what those things are first, because that can really give you some insight and a clue to, uh, you know, what direction you should be going into. And then once you figure that out, you can kind of then just do some due diligence and do some research, uh, figuring out what resources are out there because, you know, everybody has a website these days, you know, yep. you can go out, there's, there's, this is a very content rich um, environment that we live in. There's mm -hmm. tons of information. A lot of times the difficulty is kind of sifting through all of that information, um, but starting to gain an understanding of, you know, where that that path may be, um, and I always tell people it's not about figuring out the how just mm -hmm. yet. Um, the how will work itself out, but having more clarity about what you truly do want and what you're passionate about, um, having that clarity will help you really key in on the direction that you need to get to. Um, and I've found that a lot of times once that happens and when you start talking about it, mm -hmm. then people will say, oh, I know someone who actually you should talk to and, you know, really right. building on that network and talking to other people to the how will we'll kind of work that, that way out through that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, coming on and sharing a little My bit pleasure. about your story. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to have you and best of luck with everything you're doing. Thanks, Sam. You as well. Yeah, Keep doing you. what you're doing. It's awesome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Women's Soccer Spotlight. Don't forget to tune in every other Monday and share us with your friends and follow us on Facebook and Twitter to help us spread the word.